I did a little experiment with a homeless person, not like on them, it's not like electrodes. <laughs> with them, voluntarily helped me. Because the whole idea of giving, right? You've all walked down the street and you've all seen someone begging and you either have or haven't thrown a few pennies in their cup. When you do, you feel good. You bought that feeling. That is a legitimate commercial transaction. You know, commercial transactions are defined as the exchange of consideration. There was an exchange of consideration here. You gave money, you got the feeling of goodwill. You paid for that feeling. If you didn't give money, you either feel nothing or you feel bad. You can't feel good by not giving, all right? You paid for that feeling. So now the question is, how is that person encouraging us to give? The joke is, they act like every corporation in the world. They talk about themselves. Me, 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 right? Like they sit there with their little outdoor advertising, little sign, right? And it says, I'm homeless, I'm hungry, I got 12 kids, I'm a veteran, God bless. They got it all in there. Trying to appeal to somebody, the religious vote, the veteran vote, you know, the child sympathizer, surround yourself with lots of pets, go for that one too, right? All in an attempt to get something from someone. Takers, not givers, right? All about me. Well, what do, what do corporations do? We've added more RAM, we've added more ROM, we've added more speed. This one's number one. We're the biggest, we're the best. We've been around since 1969. We're better than them, we're faster than them. We're more efficient than that one. Me, 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 me. And so even if we buy their product, guess what? Eh, we don't feel much. So I did this little experiment. I found um, a nice homeless lady on the uh, streets of New York who's willing to help out. And I learned that with her sign, which was pretty typical, I'm homeless, I'm hungry, blah, blah, blah. She makes between $20 and $30 a day for, you know, for her day's worth of work, eight to 10 hours of sitting there selling Goodwill. Eight to 10 hours, she'll make 20 to $30. $30 is considered a good day. I changed her sign, and the new sign made her $40 in two hours, and then she left. <laughs> it's one of the reasons she's homeless, is because she's decided that she only needs 20 to $30 a day to live. If she stayed, she would have made $150. The point is, she made 40 bucks in two hours. What did the sign say? The sign said, if you only give once a month, please think of me next time. It has nothing to do with the taker. It has everything to do with the giver. And what are the objections people give when they don't give? I can't give to everyone. How do I know that they really need it? And so I address both those concerns. I know you can't give to everyone. So if you only give once a month, my cause is legitimate. I will still be here when you're ready to give. 40 bucks, two hours. Make it about them, not about you. So I think the word entrepreneur is bandied about too loosely. That not everyone who owns a small business is an entrepreneur. There are small business owners and there are entrepreneurs. And you can find entrepreneurs in big companies. It doesn't mean that they're small business owners, right? I think entrepreneurs are problem solvers. I think fundamentally, there are plenty of risk takers, I think, who aren't entrepreneurs. There's a risk taker if you're a small business owner, right? You went out to start the business, but they're not the same, I don't think. And entrepreneurs are those ones who, they're constantly looking to solve problems. And that's where I think they perceive opportunity or the mischief that you describe. I don't think it's, I don't think inherently it's a sense of mischief. They're not trying to stir the pot for the sake of stirring the pot. I think that they see something and they're like, we can make that better or we can fill that hole. And that's very much the way the famous entrepreneurs, the Elon Musks and the Richard Bransons operate. They see gaps. They see things that don't work as did Jobs, they see things that could be better. They, Elon Musk was just interviewed by Chris Anderson at TED last week. Chris Anderson, sort of near the end of the interview, it's online, go watch it, it's really great. Chris Anderson asks Elon Musk something to the effect of, why, why are you doing all these things? Like, why don't you just stick with Tesla? 
and be done with it. Like, why do all the other stuff? And you look at, and Musk, you can see this look on his face, and he takes a long time to answer. He actually doesn't understand the question. He cannot understand why you wouldn't do that. And he sort of gets emphatic, which for Elon Musk is pretty amazing, because he doesn't get emphatic. But that's basically what it is. He gets emphatic and says, because I want to live in a world that's better than this, or words to that effect, you know? Where I'm not, where the world that we're living in right now makes us unhappy. Why don't we want to live in a world that makes us happy? You know, he gets sort of, he can't understand, and again, yeah. it's vision first. And that's why he doesn't understand why you wouldn't try and solve problems. So a few years ago, I was uh, watching on TV the London Olympics. And I realized, I sort of noticed, all of the journalists would ask all of the athletes the same question. Were you nervous or are you nervous? And astonishingly, all the athletes gave the exact same answer. No, I was excited. So if you think about what the characteristics of nervousness are, right? Your heart starts pounding, your hands may get a little clammy, you start thinking ahead about what will happen. Well, what are the characteristics of excitement? Your heart starts pounding, your hands may get a little clammy, you start looking forward to what may happen. In other words, it's the exact same thing. And what these elite athletes had done, either naturally or they trained themselves to do, was to interpret nerves as excitement. So, of course, I tested it. I was on a plane, and it got really bumpy. And I gripped the seat, and I got nervous. And I said out loud to myself, this is exciting. <laughs> and I felt fine. So, you're going to face some of the biggest challenges of your life as you go forward. You think this was the hard stuff. This was the easy stuff. So, before you see anything, as you're going for your bagel, you start to get nervous, just remind yourself, this is exciting. Perspective matters. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'll tell you one quick story. It's a true story that captures it just so perfectly. I was staying at the uh, Four Seasons in Las Vegas, which is a wonderful hotel. And the service there is really great. The reason it's such a great hotel is because of the people who work there. And I had an experience with a young man by the name of Noah. And Noah's a barista in the coffee shop that they have just there in the lobby. And I was buying a cup of coffee and Noah was charming and funny and engaging. And I think I gave a 100% tip. I think my $5 coffee, I think I gave a $5 tip. I mean, this guy was great. I, I loved talking to him. He was a joy. And I asked him, do you like your job? He said to me, I love my job without skipping a beat. And I asked, what is it that the Four Seasons is doing that you love your job so much? He says, well, again, without skipping a beat, he says, throughout the day, managers will walk past and ask how I'm doing and if there's anything that I need. He said, not just my manager, any manager. Wow. He says, I feel supported here. He says, quote, I can be myself. Then, and then he says to me, I also work at Caesar's Palace. And there, 
The managers go around to make sure that we're doing everything right and catch us if we do something wrong. He says, when I go to work at Caesar's Palace, I keep my head just under the radar because I don't want to get in trouble. He says, I just want to get through the day and make a paycheck. Right? Same person. The experience that I have at the Four Seasons will be diametrically opposite to the experience that I have at Caesar's Palace, not because of Noah, but because of Noah's leadership. And the joke is, if I were to go talk to the managers over at Caesar's Palace and say, you know it's you, they'll say, but you don't understand, we cannot get good work out of our people. Look, look, no matter how hard we try and how hard we push them, they just don't, so we either have to replace them or push them harder. No. We respond to the environments we're in. Get the environment right, you get the right behavior. Get the environment wrong, you get the wrong behavior. If that is what is happening, it is because of leadership, not because of the people. We know that when we engage with social media or our cell phones, a chemical in our body called dopamine is released. It's what makes us feel good. Dopamine is the same chemical that is released in our bodies when we find something we're looking for, like your keys, when you go on Google, when you hit the goal or win the game, that yes, this sense of joy or in sort of, that's dopamine. Well, we know that we get a hit of dopamine when we uh, engage with social media or when our phones go buzz, bing, flash, or beep. That's why if you're feeling a little bit down, you pull out your phone and you send 10 texts to 10 friends, you know, hi, 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 hi. And you hope that somebody texts you back because when they do, it feels good, right? There are other things that release dopamine. Alcohol, nicotine, gambling, all release dopamine. It's why they feel good and almost all addictions are dopamine-based addiction. We also know that almost all alcoholics discovered alcohol when they were teenagers. You see, when we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. Then when we go through adolescence, we make this transition where we now need the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us. It allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the broader tribe. It is a time of high stress and high anxiety, and we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and the numbing effects of dopamine. And unfortunately, that connection becomes hardwired. And then for the rest of their lives, every time they face significant stress, they don't turn to a person, they turn to the bottle. Now, as I said before, we know that social media and cell phones release dopamine. Now, we have age restrictions on alcohol, we have age restrictions on tobacco, and we have age restrictions on gambling, but we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones. It's as if an entire generation who are going through adolescence, their parents have thrown open the liquor cabinet and said, try the vodka to help you get through the teenage years. That's what social media and cell phones do. So unfortunately for too many people, that connection is becoming hardwired. And as they grow up, when they face significant stress in their lives, instead of learning to turn to a person, they turn to a device where we seek solace in social media where we'll check an Instagram post, how many likes we're getting. And sometimes our own self-worth comes from how many followers we have. It can become devastating to us when somebody unfollows us. In other words, an entire generation is growing up having not practiced or learned coping mechanisms for stress. This is very, very serious for social animals that need each other. And so there's an entire generation that's growing up with lower self-confidence, going into a workforce, having their self-image shattered, not knowing necessarily how to deal with all the stress that they're facing of growing up and starting a career and finding out where you fit and all of that good stuff. And instead of turning to a person, we're turning to devices. Life. Career fulfillment, relationships are journeys. The problem is this entire generation has an institutionalized sense of impatience and do they have the patience to go on the journey 
to maintain love, to feel fulfilled, or do they just quit and on to the next, dump and on to the next, ghost and on to the next? And by the way, ghosting means the lack of skill to have a confrontation. You date somebody for six months, eight months, and then just stop replying. Just delete them from everything. Now, for the person who's doing the ghosting, oh, that's certainly easier than a confrontation. But the person on the receiving end of the ghosting, it's like there's a death. They're suddenly shunned. There's panic. They call out, they're worried. They call out, they're worried. They think it's you, they think it's them. Do you have any idea the destruction that we reap on people by ghosting them? And then because there's the lack of social skills to call out and ask for help, they internalize and it makes them feel awful to the point. At the worst, they will kill themselves. Slightly one level down, they'll get depressed. But the lowest level that we can hope for is they will go through life. And I'm not talking about ghosting. I'm talking an entire generation that if we don't fix this, we'll go through life where everything's just fine. My friendships are fine. My work is fine. You know, same old, same old. Nothing's ever amazing. And the scavenger hunt continues. And then you go to the fourth observation, the most egregious of all of them, environment. We're taking a generation that has lower self-esteem, we're taking a generation that has a lack of coping mechanisms to deal with stress, we're dealing with a generation that wants all those things fixed immediately, and we're placing them in work environments that values money more than people. Don't do things for people when you want something from them. Just ask them what you want from them. And I'll give you one little example. It's a funny little example. We've all received emails that go like this. Dear Simon, haven't seen you in years. Hope you're well. Congratulations on all you've been doing. It's really amazing. We should get copy sometime. If you could do me a favor, if you could vote for me on this website, I'm hoping to win you know, some thousand dollar prize for my design, blah, blah, blah. Hope you're well, talk to you soon, Kenny, right? We've all received an email like that. And how do we respond to it? <laughs> right? Now, what happens if you get the same email that goes like this? Dear Simon, I'm hoping you could vote for me on this website. I'm trying to win some thousand dollar prize for my design. I haven't seen you in years. I hope you're really well. Congratulations on all that you've been doing. We should get a coffee sometime. Thanks, Kenny. Totally different. In other words, when we know why you're emailing and it comes first, it has a remarkable impact. We know that all those pleasantries are just buttering us up to get to what they want, right? But if you come right out with what you want, we're actually very grateful for the pleasantries, right? It's the same thing in human interaction. Don't give someone a cup of coffee if you need a favor back. Just ask them for the favor. It builds trust. I can't trust you every time you do something nice for me. I think you just something you want something from me. I won't trust you. And this is what companies do to us, right? Well, we did this for you. Why won't you do this for us? That's not how it works. Generosity, bending down to pick up the papers, holding the door op open for someone, is expecting nothing in return, ever. You do not give. You know, this is what happens in new business, right? New business is built on relationships. And so we build the relationship, build the relationship, build the relationship until we're comfortable to ask for the business. In other words, you were only befriending me till the point you felt that I would let down my guard and you could ask me for something. The whole time you were just waiting for that time, doesn't work that way. If you actually want to build relationships, you build relationships without wanting anything. And that's how you build trust. This is the world I imagine. And here's the great thing. If you take little risks, I'm not talking about big things, little things. If you start doing little things for each other, the amazing anthropological response is other people will start doing little things for others too. I was walking down the street 
two days ago, and a guy's backpack was open and a whole bunch of paper fell out as he was walking down the street. And I happened to be behind him, and so my friend and I just sort of, we were in mid-conversation, and in mid-conversation, we never even stopped talking, we just bent down, sort of helped him gather his papers, hand them back to him, sort of pointed out that his book bag was, his, you know, his backpack was unzipped, and he said thanks, and we walked on. It was like no big deal, right? We get to the end of the, the street, and we stand at the, the, we're waiting across the street. We're still talking, we haven't stopped talking. And the guy in front of us turns to us and says, I saw you help that guy. That was really cool. But here's what's great about that. The guy will go do something for someone else simply because he saw us bend down and pick up paper for someone else. He will actually go do something for someone else because of it. Right? He, he won't give to charity because I, he sees me put a dollar in a cup. But he will actually help someone because he saw someone also help someone. Little things. Hold the door open for someone. Say thank you to the person who holds the door open for you. Smile to the barista. Little, little things. You're, you know, put your foot in the subway when the door is closing so someone who's running will make it. Hit the open at the, at the elevator. Don't go... <laughs> or pretend you didn't see. That's the best one. You know? Oh, I didn't wish I would have if I saw. Sorry. Right? Do it. A little time and a little energy. And you'll find around work that people give a little time and a little energy back to you. And you'll give a little more time and a little more energy. You go for a coffee with someone. Then you go for a two-hour coffee. Then you go for a coffee and a lunch. Then you go for a lunch and a dinner. Then you go for a dinner and a movie. And then you sleep over. And then you sleep over two nights. And then you go on holiday together. And eventually you get married. Right? It's slow. It takes time. And we can't rush it. You know, if when we rush it, it's all fake. Do things for others and watch, watch how much others do for you. You go get yourself a cup of coffee from the coffee machine in the morning, make one for someone else. It takes a little extra time, it takes a little extra energy. That's the point. That's the point. And here's the best part. You will feel so good at the end of the day. So good.